Welcome back for another weekly episode of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to give you another weekly dose of this boxing talk. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Fellas, how's it going? Um, how's your week again uh, been going so far? The week was solid, man. You know, busy day at the office, but I was able to balance it out with some training and, and some, uh, some yoga. So the week was solid. And uh, the weekend has been mostly chill, so I can't complain. All in all, you know, um, pretty good. Yeah, this week was fine. I'm compartmentalizing everything that's, you know, going on with the world and stuff like that. But, you know, on a positive note, uh, got me a new mic. Hopefully I sound better. You know how, you know, you buy them the new J's, you know, you, you get that fresh fade and you come walking out of the barbershop. That's how I feel. Hopefully I, I sound the way I feel right now. So, you know, it's looking up. It might, might sound nice, my brother, you know? Um, yeah, for me, uh, week was was pretty busy. Had, had a good week at work, you know? I'm not gonna go too much into that because that'll, you know, be kind of a lengthy discussion. But this weekend, I had an interesting weekend. Great weekend, you know? Uh, a lot of good boxing to take a look at. And then also just getting out getting a good workout. So I go to this 24-hour fitness, it's in Falls Church. So I go up there yesterday, right? And I get my weights, you know, you know, I told you I'm, I'm heavy on the bench and I got me a little cardio in yesterday too. So as I'm coming off of that, I'm gonna go down, go to the locker room and switch clothes because I wanna hit the steam room and then also the jacuzzi. Now, that's a whole nother conversation as far as, you know, it's, it's always positive um, things that occur when I'm in that sauna because in Falls Church, you got a lot of different um, people with different ideologies and people who have different professions and you kind of like, you know, rubbing shoulders with people from all walks of life. So it's always good when I, when I go in it. But this particular time, as I'm getting dressed to go to that area, these two guys, they're arguing, right? It's one guy, he's an older guy, kind of heavy set. shouldn't say kind of, he's very heavy set, um, but a real sturdy, you know, guy. This other guy, he's um, handicapped, you know, uh, 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 he's, he's physically challenged, I should say. So, but they're having a discussion. The guy who's the heavy set older guy, he's very opinionated and very sharp. Now, don't get me wrong. He knows a lot of information about different things, and he's always willing to engage in those type of conversations. And so for me, when I'm trying to get things done, I try to avoid them because I love the conversation. But at the same time, you'll miss out on your workout, you know, engaging in those conversations, those deep conversations with him. But anyway, at this particular time, I'm going through, he's talking to the physically challenged guy. And the physically challenged guy, he's now... Keep in mind, now, we'll, we'll check this out. One guy is a staunch conservative. The heavyset guy is appears to be a liberal, open-minded person. So they're having a conversation. They got the situation, Bill, you mentioned um, the events around the world. So UK, um, not UK, the Ukraine situation comes up and a guy who's um, physically challenged, he's saying that this wouldn't be an issue if President Trump was in office, okay? So he makes that statement. The other guy was explaining to him that 
it was uh, an expert who was saying something. He was just quoting what the expert was saying. So the, the physically challenged guy told me, he said, man, you shut up. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You're the dumbest person that I've ever heard. And so you continue to try to talk. He said, shut the F up. He says, if you keep talking, I'm going to F you up. I'm like, wow, like these dudes are really getting into it, you know, over this situation. So then as I keep walking, he's saying, there's people over there that die. You don't know what the F you're talking about. He's just going off. And he told me, he said, man, you keep talking. I'm going to go ahead and let you have it. So I don't know if I want to go ahead and stop this white on right violence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 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 they continued to go on. So what I did was I told the lady who was um, the like life reserver person. So I told her because I was already like I, I didn't have a shirt on and I didn't want to go out to the front counter like that. You know, I didn't need all of the ladies running up on me and stuff like that. So I told her and she went and told the people at the counter. They came back in and they squashed the situation. Right. And so I just thought that that was an interesting um you know, dynamic. And when I looked at it, when I was after it was all said and done, you know, I don't know who would have came off victorious in that, you know, if they actually did get out, you know, because one guy, even though he was older, obviously he had a lot more experience. The other guy was younger, but, you know, he has some, um, you know, definitely some physical disadvantages, you know, but he was a younger, more vibrant person. So, you know, I don't know who I would have picked as far as a prediction for that one. But I just had a, a, a very interesting um, trend of events that took place over this weekend. Now, anything else you guys have before we start getting into what it is that we to do? Yeah, you should, you should just uh, offer to be the ref, man. You know, you like that dude that make the faces, man, like that referee. <laughs> Shot. Hey, you would have did better than Buddy uh, that ref the Josh Taylor fight yesterday. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that. We definitely go get to that. Yeah. The only thing I'll say, though, is, you know, I didn't say it in my, you know, how's my week going? Because, you know, it's hard to really, really add anything of substance to it. But, you know, my thoughts are with the people that are kind of collateral damage and being negatively affected by what's going on in Eastern Europe right now. You know what I mean? And I'm hoping that, you know, there can be some kind of peaceful res resolution. But, you know, it's crazy on whether it's in, you know, your sauna, you know, at 24 hour fitness or whether over there with the guys that's high in power, it's crazy how the ego can just, you know, you let the ego ride and, you know, you look at what happens. Yeah, I just, you know, this isn't listen because as a listener, I learn a lot of perspectives and you, you see how, you get to learn how things can get out of hand and, you know, and how to fix things. I, I would more be a, I'm more of a solution oriented person than just, you know, someone who just talks about the issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's a perfect segue, you know, as far as those guys getting into it with one another. But Daddy made a good point, you know. Um, hopefully, it the, the collateral damage, like you really don't want people who don't have any. Um, it it really has nothing to do with them, and you have people that are like getting killed, you know, bombs and military and stuff like that, and so your heart goes out to them. And then also, since we talk boxing, you know, you have those guys, you have a heavy heart for like the Klitschko's, the Victor Postal's, the Lomachenko's, you know, those guys who have been affected by the events that have taken place in the Ukraine. So, you know, hopefully this situation gets resolved and, you know, it's no more needless death. 
But let's go ahead and get off into to what it is that we're here for. As I stated before, you know, time now it's time to get to keep it official, you know, like someone in a striped shirt with a whistle, you know what I mean? So yesterday we had the fight that was pretty controversial. You had Josh Taylor, who many believe is top five pound for pound in the world. Um, and then he was going against a lesser known fighter and Jack Catterall. Um, Vale, what did you think about yesterday's events that took place in Scotland? Yeah, it was definitely a, a controversial decision and I'll touch on that more later. But if it wasn't for that result, this, this whole night would have probably been the night of the upsets. I mean, this, this segment will probably be called, this episode will probably be called Upset City or Upset Central. But it didn't go that way. You know, you had Josh Taylor, uh, the unified champ at uh, light welterweight, um, defending his, his, all of his titles against Jack Catterall, uh, who was his mandatory. Um, and first off, I'm apologize publicly to Jack Catterall. You know, uh, I made a prediction that kind of went soon. I, I, and it was some things that, that I, I saw in him and I was like, I don't know how he could trouble Josh Taylor. And I, I'm 100% wrong. And, and Jack Catterall should be the unified champion right now. And that's the sad part about it. Um, he came to this fight uh, in, in the first round, as soon as he threw the, the, uh, the, the left hand and then landed on Taylor and I saw Taylor's reaction, I knew he was going to be trouble. It, it just, I didn't know how much trouble he was going to be uh, as this fight went on. Um, but Catterall, he boxed beautifully, you know, um, he, he found a, a home for that, that, that left hand, you know, and then he had a, a combination he would throw, which is like a, a, a left hand and right hook, uh, which is interestingly enough, it's the same combination. It's a similar combination to what uh, Gary Antoine Russell throws. So I found that a little interesting that, you know, uh, that combination, you know, made his way in those two fights. Um, and Josh Taylor, it just seemed like he was there just trying to just win it off of guts and he didn't really have a game plan. It's, it was almost like he overlooked Catterall saying, hey, this guy's just a mandatory and, and looking past him and looking to bigger and better things, you know, that he thought he was probably going to get. Uh, but Catterall definitely surprised him. You know, um, he was peppering Taylor with jabs, you know, especially in the, you know, uh, in, in the middle rounds. I think. Taylor did try to get stuff going probably around the third round and, and midway into the fight. But I think um, Catterall was just stuck and sticking to his game plan too much. And it was just working so much for him. He was using movements, counter punching. He, he was getting Josh Taylor to follow him around. Um, and, 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 you know, whenever Taylor would get close and, and, and initiate a clinch, he would grab him. And then it, it, it cultivated into a point being deducted. Uh, from Jack Catterall, I believe it was in the, uh, I believe it was in the ninth or tenth round, which I thought was kind of unfair to Catterall. I mean, he was, I mean, I, both were initiating clinches, and I thought the ref was just really only talking to him and kind of, you know, I don't know, I don't know what what it was, uh, but Taylor um, Catterall also knocked Taylor down eighth round. Um, and I must say, I, I, I'm a big Andre Ward fan. I, you know, I like his boxing IQ, but his, even his scoring in this fight, I really didn't. Didn't I, I can't I can't agree with it. Like I, I scored the fight 116 and 110 for uh, Jack Catterall. Uh, I gave Josh Taylor 
I, th- I think that the, the third round, I gave him the third round and the, the 10th round, which he had the point, which uh, Catterall had the point deducted. I thought Josh Taylor was doing well enough in that round to win it. And I had him winning the 12th round. And of those rounds, I think maybe, maybe the last round is really the only round that I really can say I really would give this to Josh Taylor. I mean, he didn't really make enough case to be even winning the rounds he was winning, you know? I mean, he was fighting his heart out and staying in a fight uh, as far as mentality. But um, when you look at a round-around basis, I mean, he wasn't definitively winning these rounds. And Jack Catterall was. Uh, and it was a sad thing for Jack Catterall. I think it was just a, a title fight, a world title fight, not a unification. Um, it would have been, uh, it would have been better. Not, not saying, I mean, robberies like this is never a good thing, but I think it would have been a little better because a, a unified bout, I mean, how many times are you going to get those? You know, it's hard to collect, collect four belts. And when one person has those belts, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, if one person has those belts and something happens where they lose those belts, it's hard for someone else to try to collect those belts, when he, especially when Catterall had the opportunity right now. So, I think this opportunity was stolen from him. You, you probably won't get this opportunity again, you know, to be a unified champion unless there's a, a immediate re, rematch. Um, but I thought Catterall fought a good fight and, you know, got robbed. So um, Josh Taylor, he improves to 19-0 with 13 knockouts. Uh, and Jack Catterall drops to, and I, I feel funny even saying that, uh, he's been dropped to 26 and one with uh, 11 knockouts, but you know, uh, it was just a robbery. Yeah. As you stated, uh, Catterall was the mandatory for two years. And so I think for him, that was helpful, very, very helpful in a sense that all he had to do was focus in on whoever it is that he was going to have to face and Taylor in that time frame, he's been focusing on moving up, possibly to face Crawford, um, his Ramirez fight. Um, I want to say even the um, fight that he had with Kong Song, you know, but basically what he was doing was that he was talking about everyone else but Ketterall, you know, and like I said, Ketterall could have that laser, laser focus. After this fight, there's no rematch clause, and it doesn't appear that Taylor is going to even, you know, remotely think about giving Catterall, you know, another crack at the belts that I think Catterall should actually be having, should be should be wearing um, at this particular point. And Taylor, you know, here the problem in this fight, and so let me be clear, first and foremost, I believe Catterall won this fight easily. I stopped scoring a fight once he dropped him in the eighth round because I didn't think that it was any way possible for um, Taylor to win if he did not stop Catterall at that point, you know? And so Taylor, he's still a good fighter, man. I think that you can't take away, you know, some of the accolades that he's had, some of the things that he's done so far. But I think what has hurt him is the fast tracking of him. He turned pro in 2015. Now, he's 31 years old, but the reason why they fast tracked him so quickly was because he it was a little older when he turned pro. 
So by the time he made it like two and a half years into his career, he's already fighting a Victor Postal, like pretty much in his prime. And so by him doing that, you can see how they fast tracked him early. Now, with that being said, Taylor is going to be tough for anybody who's not a lefty. In this fight, what he needed to do was be able to figure out how to land his right hand. He never had an answer for that tricky southpaw elusive stance that Catterall has. And Catterall was very confident going into the fight because of the things that I mentioned. The fact that Taylor was not really focused in on him, overlooking him. And Catterall is going to be a tough fight for Taylor just in general. Now, Taylor, a focused Taylor probably is just going to be a little bit too much for Catterall, possibly, but it's still going to be a close fight. But him overlooking him, that really is going to be beneficial to Catterall. And like I said, Catterall just licking his child. It was nowhere um, that I saw Catterall look like he was ever overwhelmed in this moment especially him having a resume that he had. And then also the fact that you're fighting a top five, six um, pound for pound type fighter. You know what I mean? Like you would think that would be a little bit more nervous at some point or show some signs of that, but he never did. And then also the domestic nature of this fight. Sometimes when you have somebody that's right in your backyard, you see in those guys, they may have had interactions with one another before. He knows Taylor and he's seen him up in front enough to know and prepare for anything that he's going to bring to the table. And like I said, that left-hand stance just caused Taylor all type of, of havoc. Now, moving forward, what Taylor's going to have to do, he's going to have to figure out a way. If he's fighting a slick softball, he's going to have to be better at landing power shots, like lead rights, um, also like just power up to the top, down to the body, you know, things like that, because that was open for him. He just didn't have the tools in a toolkit to pull it off yesterday. And so that's what I noticed. It wasn't anything else other than that. Him with the lack of ability to be able to do that, not preparing to be able to do that. And then also him overlooking his opponent. Um, also, what I want to point out was that, yeah, like I said, it, it was no way that, that Taylor won his fight. Because if you look at the punch stats, he landed 73 out of 306 punches that was total punches and then Catterall 120 out of 525 for a 22.9% Taylor was like slightly more accurate but at the same time Catterall just landed the more effective shots he was his ring generalship you know he just had Taylor flustered you know and as far as like the power punches Taylor landed 57 out of 179 and then Catterall landed 81 out of 267 so all in all, Catterall won that fight, you know, and the other thing I want to say, the last thing I'm going to say is this, is that I, I knew, I knew something, it was some funny business going to be, um, that, that was going to potentially happen in this fight. Once they read, they were about to read the scorecards and I saw the look on Taylor's face and I was thinking, I said, are they going to have it in their hearts to give the fight to somebody else just the way Taylor was looking it was like y'all not gonna do me like this you know not in my hometown and it was like okay we gotta go ahead and go with the hometown kid but that's what I saw yesterday very good fight from the standpoint of Mr. Catterall he should be the undisputed champ and it's going to be interesting to see where both guys go moving forward 
Yeah, I don't have too, too much to add other than what you guys said. I, I would say that due to the nature of a lot of those rounds because of the clinching, the way I envision it based on like the commentary and stuff like that, people viewed them as swing rounds that were kind of subjective to what you wanted to see. You know what I mean? Like if you wanted to see somebody come forward and walk somebody down but not do much with it, then you would give them the tail, which it seemed like Andre Ward was doing. And with respect to the champ, some of the UVL, I disagree with the way he was scoring that. What I saw was someone boxing effectively and landing cleaning punches off the back foot. Like there, there's too much of an emphasis on like aggression, like ineffective aggression. Um, but at any rate, I personally scored at 113 to 112 in Catterall's favor. Could have easily been 114, 111, because the, the round where Catterall got the point deducted. It was a 9-9 round to me personally, but I was like, there's no way the judge is going to score this 9-9. Like, they're going to score a 10-8, so it's pointless for me to put 9-9. But either way, Taylor didn't win that fight. Uh, but it was kind of funny because on last week's episode, I was saying that, you know, Catterall didn't do anything special, which is why he wouldn't win. But not doing anything special is exactly what got him this win to me. Um, he was landing very effectively with a lot of basic one twos and one one twos you know like um the same things that weren't special and i don't know if it was because of the pressure of being in front of your home crowd or him looking past taylor looking past cat or all the what but you know he wasn't doing anything special but it was working and i was disappointed in taylor's inability to adjust um like he needed to do something different if he was going to continue to come forward or do something to lure Ketterall in but he didn't do either of those and you know it's unfortunate that he was able to escape with that decision um he said this is last fight at 140 and I don't know what his roadmap is looking like at 147 but any of those elite guys he he's he wants to fight got to be looking at chops at 147 at the same time because of who he's beat at 140 and how he looked beating those guys I'm not going to put him in a box and say, like, this is who he is because it is one fight. So we'll see how he looks next time he fights whoever he fights. Um, did you guys have anything else on that? I, I would say that I just think Taylor, he, I think him, he and Catterall are in a situation where he's not, he doesn't really do anything spectacular. He's just, he does things really well. And sometimes if you're a fighter who doesn't have like a special effect or you're not just tremendously talented, you can't run the risk of overlooking anybody, you know, and especially somebody who has a style that's going to be very difficult for you to look good against in the first place. Now, guys like, for instance, people with special effects like a, a, a Deontay Wilder can overcome situations when he's down you got tank davis can do the same they can just erase any mistakes you got some guys who are just tremendously gifted you know and they may have like worked their way to get to that point like a canelo canelo might have a little bit of an off night but he still could do certain things where he could still win that fight um it's, it's a couple other guys who fall in that category it's just josh taylor to me he doesn't fall in that category somebody who has a special effect or who's just tremendously talented he has to be on his game in shape and he has to be focused, and he was not that yesterday. I do agree with you. I'll just say that, you know what I mean, what, what happened happened, and, and hopefully 
you know, you could take that experience and learn from it and not move past people so quickly and keep the main thing the main thing is in the, the fighter in front of him. That said, you know, once again, he said this is his last fight at 140. And so it's safe to assume that he's going to move up to 147 and fight somebody in some capacity. Um, now, for the sake of conversation, should it be his last fight at 140? Uh, what do y'all think that he should do from here? I think I'm going to touch on both guys uh, when it comes to what's, what, what's next. Taylor, obviously, he needs to go back to the drawing board, work on, to me, I think the biggest thing for him coming out of this fight is his ability in this fight, the lack thereof ability to be able to throw right-hand power shots against a lefty. And so that's something that he's going to have to work on moving forward the problem is if he's going to go up to 147 the top two guys one is a lefty and then the other one he can switch to the left hand stance you know with the best of them and so it's not looking good from that standpoint and then also um because basically when, when you think about like the levels, he, he's basically like a fourth grader when it comes to like a Spence or a Crawford with his um, his style. You know what I mean? Like I said, he's good. Like if, if that wasn't something that was um, that he was lacking, then I think that he could be kind of competitive against those guys because he's a big, strong, at least 140 pounder. And I think that he, his weight will be able to transfer up to 147 pounds. But then on the flip side of that is that the other guys at 147, the, the good 147 pounders are big as well. So he's, you're right. He, he might, like, this might be um, a, a tough situation for him. If he can stay at 140, you know, comfortably for him, I think that that would be best interest would be to do, do that. Like I say, the, the welterweights, they just by and large, they'd be too large, you know, no pun intended. But I'll tell you this, if he fights those, any of those welterweights in the UK and he's able to remain upright, you know, they would damn near have to kill him to get a victory out there. So, you know, that's that's the, the, the other thing about it. You know, if he if they end up fighting him out there, but I just don't think that he will be able to remain upright against those bigger, stronger guys because they're just too powerful. And then as far as Caterall is concerned, you know, he's a player. He's going to be a player at, at 140. I think that with his slick, slippery style that he's going to cause fits for a lot of guys. But I think he still will be an underdog against many of the top guys. Like, you know, for instance, Regis Progray, um, Jose Ramirez, and, you know, even Gary Antoine Russell, and even Jose Zapata. I would take all of them over uh, Jack Catterall, but at the same time, I think that he's better than guys like a Sander Martin, Jose Bedraza, um, and, and people like that. So, but he's young, so he still has a lot of room to grow. That was his first taste at fighting an elite level fighter and he passed with flying colors. So he, he does have the ability and capability of even getting better. And I think that this performance that he just had is going to help him and motivate him you know, to get back in the gym and even you know, skills even more. So we shall see. But I, like I say, for, for Taylor, it's not looking as promising. But, you know, back to the drawing board. Yeah. Um, in a post-fight conversation, 
Andre Ward expressed that he didn't think it was a good idea to move straight to 47 after this. He said he thought that although he doesn't owe Ketterall a rematch, he should make it right by giving him a rematch, beating him convincingly, and then moving up. The thing is, you know, he's kind of, you know, what you said at 147, the landscape for him is is valid in the sense that, you know, um, he would be in trouble against those elite guys that can fight in Southpaw, but he's also beaten a lot of who there is to beat at 140. There's not much left for him there either. The only other possibilities is um, contingent upon if Teofimo Lopez moves up and if Haney moves up. Um, like Those are the potential money fights, but then again, if your end game is to move up to 147, then you put your risk you put yourself at risk because if you lose to a guy that moved up for 135, what makes you think that anybody at 147 going to take you seriously? Like you can't, you, that's not a good look either. So he's, he's kind of in, in a rock and a hard place. Um, but I, I honestly don't think that rematching Catterall voluntarily is a bad idea. So yeah, what he decides to do, I don't know, but he, he's kind of in an interesting situation based on his past performance. And I just want to reiterate, I do think this performance was kind of the exception, not the rule. Um, but it's also not the performance you you want to leave that division with before going into such an elite division. Yeah, both of you guys made some some great, interesting points. Um, I do agree with you, Danny. I mean, it might just be the exception, you know, not the rule. Uh, he may have just had an off night, you know, but moving forward, I think this win kind of does him a disservice because uh, if he can't look at the, if he can't really look at the draw more and see things that he needs to fix and see those flaws more clearly, he might think, hey, I struggled, but he may not see those flaws as much as if he would have had that L on his record. You know, he may not fix the things he needed to fix before moving to 147 versus if he would have took that L, it would have haunted him more and maybe he would have got a rematch, maybe not, but he will at least be able to look in that mirror and look at himself and say, asking those questions like, what could, could I have done better? What do I need to improve on? Um, and that doesn't guarantee that he would do that, but it, it was more likely that after he, accept a, after he would accept the L, he would have thought about that. Um, yeah, but moving forward at 147, as you, you stated, Will, those top two guys, they're, you know, they're Southpaw, you know, they're big guys. Um, Josh Taylor, I don't think he has an issue really filling out at 147, but, you know, just based off of the, just the, I think 147 has a different talent gap also than 140. I mean, can he, if, if his, if his goal is to make money and make some big fights, he'll get it. Uh, and, and also I've, I've seen, you know, it's been some, uh, alluding to of, of him facing a Kell Brook, if Kell Brook decides to stay at 47, because that would be a big fight in, U- in the UK. And y'all know how I feel about Kel Brook. I think he should, you know, retire. But he basically said, I'm not doing that. And, and he's flirting with a fight with Chris Eubank Jr. And I'd rather have, if Kel Brook's going to fight anybody, I'd rather have him take on a Josh Taylor. But even then, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to move forward where Taylor goes. Anything else uh, you guys have to share? See, Taylor, um, so just a few things that I think, but it, it goes against what he just stated. Now he's saying 
he doesn't, he felt like he won, doesn't need to rematch Caterall, cool. But he may feel like Timothy Bradley did after he faced Pacquiao in the sense that Bradley, although they gave him the victory, he was not treated the way he thought that he should have been treated after the fight. And so he immediately, no, nah, he probably would have given a rematch anyway, but at the same time, you know, it, it bothered him so much. And then even after that, when he fought, um, what's his name, Povetkin or whatever the guy name is, the, the power puncher, the Russian, um, he ended up like brawling and stuff like that. I'm just saying that psychologically, how people are going to approach him in interviews, his countrymen and whomever, like they may force him into like just being in a place where he's like, man, I, I got to go ahead and rematch this guy, you know, because people are, are getting at me so bad about the result. And so if that's the case, if, if it comes to that, or he may just feel like after I accomplish what it is that I know that I can accomplish, people will forget about this. So those are two different approaches that could, could actually happen. Um, but if he's in a place where he feels that he needs to rematch Caterall to wrong or right the wrong, what he could do conceivably, they can fight at a catchway. You don't have to, like if he's gonna go up and to walk away anyway, and he may need a fight or two to get comfortable. Why not just fight Caterall? Like he's going to move up and maybe they can fight at like maybe 145 or something like that where he's comfortable, you know, and he's not draining himself to make weight. And then he can go ahead and knock him off and then fight a Kell Brook, then fight, you know, maybe another guy and then take on one of the champions at, you know, world to weight. And so, you know, that would be more advantageous for him. You know what I mean? So I can see him doing things like that moving forward. Um, but he seems like a person who strives for the big fish. You know, like I said, early in his career, when they put him in with Victor Postal real early, you know, taking on Regis Prograce, fighting in that Super Six, taking on Ramirez for the belt. So he seems like a big fish type guy as opposed to trying to take those little steps that will actually benefit him in a situation if he's going to move to 147. But that's just my thoughts. All right. Uh, moving along, we had some uh, super featherweight action yesterday on a PBC card. Uh, we had Chris Primetime Covert versus uh, Hector Luis Garcia. Uh, it was a WBA eliminator yeah, for the super featherweight uh, WBA title. Uh, did you guys see that fight? And what were your thoughts on the result? So Chris Colbert is 16 and one now with six knockouts. Um, suffered his first knockdown in his career in the seventh round in this this fight that just happened. Uh, Garcia um, remains undefeated at 15 and no with 10 knockouts. I'm going to let y'all cook on this mostly um, because I didn't see the fight live um, and I wasn't able to find a full fight replay. Um, I was able to catch uh, rounds here and there. And so I give a general opinion of what I thought from what I saw. Um, but I remember, Vel, when you first put us on to Chris Colbert, when he fought Jamie Arbolita or Arboleta, and he looked impressive that fight and got the stoppage, but he was doing, to me, he was doing a lot of showboating in a way that like, made the fight a lot harder than it had to be. Like, 
sometimes people's, you know, their, their boxing ability does the talking. And sometimes, you know, you add a little bit of showmanship to there. But I felt like in that fight, although he got the result he was looking for, his showmanship took away from his actual, like it took, a, it just took away something from his performance to me personally. It's like this other crowd pleasing element that's unnecessary to add. You know, like you got this amazing hand speed and this, and this footwork, like let those do the talking. You don't have to add a performance on top of the performance. Now, fast forward to this fight from what I was, from what I was seeing, you know, originally he was supposed to fight Roger Gutierrez for the WBA strap. But Gutierrez pulled out due to industry, due to injury. In their pre-fight interview, Jim Gray asked Colbert if he had watched any tape on Garcia. He was like, nah, I don't need to. Well, <laughs> turns out that that was not the case because, you know, it almost felt like that because Garcia was a replacement and that he had never heard of him, you know, Colbert assumed he'd be another Arbolita. And from what it looked like, from what I did see, Cobra was so married to that style of showmanship that he wouldn't abandon it even when it wasn't clear, even when it clearly wasn't working for him. And so, um, and, and he got caught a lot and he got out. I mean, he, he got out boxing his fight in, in every way. And, you know, I mean, it sucks for him on one hand because he went from a title shot to losing an eliminator. And there's another one where I'm not going to write him off, but I, I do hope that he takes this experience back to the drawing board. You know, it takes aspects of his craft more seriously. Um, I do have concerns for how he could go from here because he doesn't have a lot of knockouts and he's still young, so he can grow from this loss. But um, I just hope that he takes it and, he kind of like regain plans and he doesn't like try to double down on the stuff that, that caused him to lose. You know what I mean? Like if I could just do these things better, you know what I mean? Like there's another way around the way that he fought that fight. And I think that he could have bought a better, better version of himself last night and he didn't take it seriously enough to do so. Yeah. It, it was, um, you know, what they call a rude awakening for, so-called showtime, you know, um, being a 25-year-old Chris Colbert. And as you stated, Danny, that Roger Gutierrez, he tested positive for COVID. So Garcia took the fight on like two and a half weeks notice. Now Garcia will face Gutierrez for his strap. And in this fight, you know, and then also just as far as the judging is concerned, like this was an embarrassing performance to me by Chris Colbert from the standpoint of all the stuff that he talked prior to the fight and then to lose on the scorecards 118 to 109 111 to 108 and then 111 to 109 i think the third round is the only round that you can say that Colbert actually won and you have to think about his strategy coming to this fight is he really didn't have a strategy i think what he thought was that he's fighting a placement and that i'm just gonna mollywop this dude you know he's not on my level and like you said, he's talking about that he didn't need to watch film or anything like that. I think, you know, moving forward, it's, it's, it probably would behoove you to watch film of your opponent, no matter who it is. You know, Colbert, like I said, underestimated his opponent and thought that he would just rely on his athleticism and he'd be okay. And he looked also looked very undisciplined in this fight. Very disrespectful in that press conference. And then um, 
like I said, it just showed inside the ring where you would think that, I don't know. I just think he's one of those guys, man, like these younger fighters, sometimes they just think that they can talk their way into stuff and that they don't necessarily have to put, he may put in a lot of work as far as like getting in shape for a fight, but it's certain technical things that you have to work on in order to make sure that you're perfecting your craft, not just being in supreme shape and relying on your physical gifts. And see that sort of thing, a, a fighter who's really has the fundamentals down, they can use your physical attributes and speed and things like that against you with their timing. They can run you into stuff. And it just seemed like yesterday, Hector Garcia was just a better fighter. Now, like I say, Colbert was more athletic but Garcia was the better fighter. And Danny, you mentioned that you didn't see much as far as like only like the highlights. That's all you need to see in this one. Because if you saw round one, you saw round 12. The only round that I say that that Colbert actually won was the third round. It was, it was, it was just a replay. And then Colbert never did anything being down. Like you have to, he had to know that he was down. And it seemed like he started to like move around even more because he was afraid of. Garcia's power after he got dropped and he was getting tagged so much that he just didn't want to get knocked out. You know, he, he he's one of those guys, you know, with the six knockouts, he doesn't that, that Mario and Luigi, that power, you know what I mean? Like he, 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 he. so he, what, again, what he was thinking was this also was that, okay, I'm going to overwhelm this guy and then just tag him. And then I, if I, I'm going to try to get him out that way. And then if that doesn't work, if he is still and he can take that or he has some power, then what I'm going to do is box. But by the time he figured those things out, he was already so far behind on the scorecards where the guy wasn't he wasn't even putting much on the guy in the first place. And the guy had power and the guy was winning. So he was just in a lose lose situation and he didn't have another plan and he doesn't have the power just to go ahead and reverse things. He's in that situation. He has blazing speed. He has physical attributes, but he doesn't have the power to just reverse things. Like if things are not going in his direction and he doesn't have the fundamentals, Like he's just a, a guy who gets in there and say, sometimes he's just too athletic for, you know, some of the fighters that he's facing, but that wasn't going to be the situation in, in, in this one. Last thing I'm going to say is this, is that you got to be careful too being overconfident because we see this quite often now like this is becoming a reoccurring theme where you have guys who are late replacements and they've been overlooked and then the guy end up losing to see you got to take this into consideration i don't know and i'm not putting this on garcia but what i'm saying is is that a lot of times when these fighters come in as late replacements see they don't have to go through all of that testing and stuff like that that other guys do so you fighting a guy, you don't know what's in their system or anything like that. You know, like I said, I'm not putting that on Garcia, but at the same time, you just don't know. So you might be in a situation um, where, you know, a guy's not been in a testing pool and they might be, because Garcia was strong as I don't know what throughout the, all 12 of those rounds. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm not putting nothing on him. But um, all in all, it was more Colbert didn't have a plan B. You know, he just had A. And he relied on his athleticism. And hopefully for him, you know, this being a rude awakening, 
that he'll learn his lesson to not underestimate anyone and just rely on his gifts, you know? And like I said, you need to harness your, your, your skills, you know, and for him, you know, either he's gonna become stronger as a result of this, or he could easily fade into oblivion or obscurity, you know, if he doesn't work on what it is he needs to work on moving forward. Yeah, I think this loss might be a blessing in disguise for him because, you know, coming to the fight, you know, he had this, this swagger about him, like, you know, and when you look at Chris Colbert, I mean, what's not to like about the kid? You know, he, he's flashy, you know, humble. He, it's, it's funny because he's kind of flashy, but in some ways he's humble too. You know, each fight, you know, he, he represents a, a particular organization. Uh, yesterday it was autism. Sometimes he has the pink hair for breast cancer and all these other different things, you know, owns his own business. I mean, in some ways he has his head on his shoulders, but in other ways I can see that, you know, he lacks a little bit. Um, and, and, and especially being a Chris Colbert fan, it was kind of, you know, disappointing to see, you know, that fight where he really didn't have a plan B. And after probably about around the third or fourth round, I, I knew he was going to lose the fight. Considering, you know, when I, when I heard that, that pre fight uh comment when he says you know he didn't watch any tape or anything like that he's gonna do what he does i'm like man when when it comes to these young fighters and they think they could do that it's like it's almost like it comes from them trying to emulate floyd mayweather a little bit and and when they try when fighters young fighters try to emulate him which is cool they they only emulate surface things they don't emulate you know some of the work that floyd put in or yeah floyd said he might not watch tape on fighters but he didn't say that roger didn't watch any tape or that floyd senior wasn't watching tape or that somebody around him wasn't feeding him that information he never said all that so i think fighters might emulate stuff on a on a surface but not really you know emulate the work that's being put in and like you said will i'm, I'm pretty sure chris puts in a lot of uh you know physical work because he's always in shape but when, when it comes to this game in the boxing to, to see it on a, on a top level it's, it's more than just, you know, uh, conditioning, you know, you have to really be on your, 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 your boxing IQ game. And, and it showed a little bit where he was lacking, where he couldn't even make any adjustments. And he had, he spent 20 times, you know, standing right in front of, uh, right in front of Garcia with his hands up and, and letting Garcia tee off on him. Um, and it, it was interesting that even when he got hurt in the seventh round that, uh, towards the end, I was like, is the ref going to step in? You know, even though it would, you know, Colbert wasn't really that hurt, but this, the ref was right, pretty much standing on the side of him. I say that to say, I, I think Colbert need to just take this loss. And, he, and, you know, he said the right things in the, you know, at the, the post fight. He didn't, he didn't say that, that he won or anything or tried to argue a decision or he didn't make any, any excuses. He just said, hey, I'm taking my losses like I take my win. So hopefully, and then hopefully a through some way he's listening to this, you know, this uh podcast, that you know, he goes back to the drawing board and 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 looks at those flaws and looks at all the things that he can do better. Um, because when you look at those things, it can make you better, you know. It, and it's not the end of the world, you know. Fighters they lose, you know, sometimes losing early in your career like that could be uh some of the best that happened to you. I mean, we've seen like a good example was like Winky Wright, you know, when he lost to Fernando Vargas, even though he thought he was robbed. And he had a loss to uh, Vasquez earlier in his career. 
And, and he never really again, after that Vasquez fight, uh, Winky never again really showed that uneasiness or shakiness of, 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 of a chin or anything like that. I mean, he, he barely, he's barely knocked, you know, knocked, knocked down his career after that. Uh, and then you look at someone like Bernard Hawkins who lost his, his uh, debut, you know. Um, so it's really how Chris Colbert decides to um, move forward and, and really take an assessment of what happened last night. So, I mean, kid, you know, I mean, hopefully, take, you know, taking his loss in stride and hopefully he rebuilds himself and comes back stronger. And I'll be watching to see what he does from here. Props to Garcia, you know, way to go ahead and, and take advantage of that opportunity. You know what I mean? Somebody disrespects you, you go ahead and, 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 you know, you let them know, okay, you know, who got the last laugh now, you know what I mean? And so I, I, I respect him, you know, for taking advantage of that opportunity. Now, you said what is there to not like about Chris Colbert? Colbert, that's uh, a, a lot of things not to like about him if you're not a fan of him. He talks a whole bunch, you know, he, he's disrespectful. You know, he thinks he knows it all. You know, he loves to use the N word excessively. So those are some things that, you know, when you have that brash, you know, nobody can tell me anything like uh, disrespectful type stuff. Then, you know, you put yourself in a situation where you end up with egg in your face. And what I didn't like about Colbert and you talking to a person who's a fan of him. I just didn't like these things that he was doing as far as the comments that he made about Deontay Wilder. He had a lot of other people other groups of people, non-Black people who saying, yeah, I'm a fan of him now. Not the fact that he, he may have even been right with what he said about Wilder when Wilder made the excuse against Fury, but it was the way he went about doing it. The disrespectful way that he talked about that man who's older than him. And there's a right way to do what it is that he did. You know, he could have easily said, I just disagree with the champ. You know, I think he's making excuses, so on and so forth. But he's like, that N-word, this and that N-word. And I'm like, man, that's a little bit disrespectful, you know, for you to come at another person, you know, another fighter in that manner. And somebody who's also a Black person who's in a similar situation as you. So that's what I didn't like about the young man. Hopefully he'll get a little bit of humble pie moving forward harness those skills, you know, it's certain things that you can do, man. Like if you fundamentally sound, you brought up, now I also, I disagree with the, 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 the Winky Wright situation too, because Vasquez was a, was a solid champ, like a real solid champ. Winky was, was coming up there and he was fighting somebody who was kind of just, he wasn't at that level yet. You have to figure out, am I at this level? So let me go ahead and take this opportunity, short notice too, and he was getting pummeled a little bit, but then he was able to come back and work harder to get where he needed to be. This situation, we don't know where, where um, Garcia is. It, I think it's just a little bit different. And then in the Vargas fight, I thought he actually won't beat Vargas. He gave Vargas his first loss. That's more like Josh Taylor and um, Catterall. You know what I mean? And then speaking of, he was disres kind of disrespectful when they asked him the other day. They said, what about the compare? They used to call him Lil B-Hop. No, nah, I'm not like any of them. I'm myself. It's again, it's not what he said, it's how he said it. You know what I mean? Like that's an all-time great right there. Yeah, if if anybody sees a similarity to me and a B-hop, you know, I'm grateful for that. Nah, he didn't say anything like that. It's like, nah, I'm my own. There's that. 
man, if you don't get up out of here with that, humble yourself and, and hopefully you'll you'll um, be better as a result of taking that, that, that whooping that you took yesterday. So all I got, you know, whippersnappers out here, man. You're going to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. So we had another young fella. Now, I thought that this was would have been the fight that could potentially have been, you know, the upset, you know, because going into this fight, you had Gary Antoine Russell, who was a five to one favorite against the venerable one, um, Victor Postal, the Iceman. What did you guys think about Gary Antoine Russell's performance yesterday on the undercard of the Colbert versus Garcia fight? Yeah, I'm happy to say that I, I predicted this one uh, correctly. Uh, if you heard my prediction last week, but I was sweating bullets though. It's, it's certain points in this fight, I was like, "Hmm, you know, Gary Antoine Russell was kind of making me nervous in, in certain spots." You know, um, so Gary Antoine Russell came to his fight 14 and no all knockouts, uh, going against uh, Victor Postal, the former champion at 140. Uh, very experienced veteran, uh, 31 and three with 12 knockouts. I mean, this guy, Victor, he's been in the ring with, you know, Terrence Crawford, has a win over Matisse. I mean, you know, stand, a stand-up guy, stand-up fighter, you know. And also, uh, Postal was fighting with, you know, all the things that's going on in uh, the Ukraine right now with his, you know, family back home in, in Ukraine. So it, it was an interesting fight and how it was going to play out. You know, we didn't know how it was going to affect Postal. So uh, Gary came to this fight using his speed a lot. You know, he, again, he was using that, that right hand, you know, at, from a southpaw stance. Now he was using that straight left hand and right hook from the southpaw uh, stance on, on post-star. Um, he came out aggressive like I thought he would. He would uh, was working the body, um, getting, you know, moving post-star into the corner and, and pressuring, him, pressuring him a lot. But then I think around the fourth round, I think Postal, you know, tried to, he kind of settled in in the fight against Russell and started kind of, you know, it's almost like he gained a little bit of confidence where he stood in front of him and it was like, well, his, his power is not really hurting me as much as I thought I would, thought it would. So he, he got a little more, you know, stationary and Postal was, you know, uh, getting in exchanges with uh, Russell. And I think Russell kind of, even though he was winning the rounds off his speed and his combinations and things like that, it was giving him a little bit of uh, resistance, which we hadn't really seen up to that point. Um, in post-all, he just wasn't, the fourth and fifth round, he wasn't moving, moving backwards anymore, but he was just standing there, you know. Um, but uh, Russell, uh, I can't say he uh adapted he i mean at certain, certain points he started to box a little bit more and then he he started to become aggressive again but one thing i did like that he started doing was uh i think it was around the seventh round he started picking his shots a little better and really taking his time instead of just going in there windmill style like you know uh the hawk Aaron fryer like that you know he sometimes get compared to his style gets compared to a little bit so he started picking his shots a little bit uh his, his big brother, Gary Russell Jr., was giving him great advice in the corner, um, you know, telling him, you know, it's time to pick it up and put it on him. Uh, the 10th round, he he, he got, he hurt uh, Postal around, I think it was a little less than a minute left, uh, and the ref stepped in. I thought it was an early stoppage. I, I definitely thought it was an early stoppage, and I thought Postal, he had a, I mean, it's, he possibly could have survived it, but I also 
uh, wouldn't put it past Russell to, to stop him within that 30 second period because that's a long time to just be taking punches. And Russell, he's very aggressive when he gets a man hurt. You know, he really tries to put it on him. So, uh, but the, but then again, it was a good display from from Russell. Uh, hopefully, you know, even though he didn't struggle too much and this wasn't like you know a loss or anything like that. Hopefully, and, and I know you know his brother Gary, his big brother Gary, is gonna you know take him back into the drawing board, really look at all the things he could have done better, and I think he'll be better. You know, very humble guy. Uh, valedictorian you know in a time where where a lot of you know athletes don't really have a lot of value on education I mean it's it's happy to see somebody that was actually you know really valued that and made his decision to become a boxer you know he didn't he wasn't forced into it he he decided to go forward and and it's interesting that you know he fights in an aggressive manner so it, it lets you know that Fighters, sometimes they have something in them. It's not something that just comes from any type of experience per se, but sometimes it's just in you, and and I I see that as in him. But a good fight from Gary Antoine Russell, you know, good stoppage over Victor Postal. First time Victor Postal been stopped, Uh, and I was happy to get this prediction right, even if it had me sweat. Yes, sir. I got the prediction right, too. I said that if Gary – if if Victor Postal was – the Victor Postal that fought Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor, he would be victorious. That was not the same Victor Postal. So I'm gonna pat myself on the back as well. You know, they call me the, <laughs> the, the, the he he be knowing king. You understand? Oh, man. What I'm They'll be knowing. But anyway, getting to what happened in this fight, I'm gonna go ahead and make my, you know, my what I saw brief. You know, very good win. And like you said, the young man, you know, he really is all about his education. So this is gonna give him options, even if what I see as being, uh, you know, he has great potential, but if it doesn't work out, he still has a backup plan, you know, with the education that he has, you know, even like I say, moving forward, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of what it is that he can do. And as you stated, he, he stunned, he was winning the fight. You know what I mean? I thought he did a really good job of, um, he was just more vibrant. He, he, he's a big, strong junior welterweight. You know, he was fighting against another strong junior welterweight, but at the same time, he was just a little bit more vibrant. You know what I mean? He just has too much left in the tank for Victor Postal at, at this stage of his career. What Victor Postal said was, he said his legs weren't there. I'm quoting him when I said this. He says, my legs weren't there. My arms weren't there. And like, I needed them to be. And so when he said that, I was just want to tell him, welcome to the club, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I told my lady that the other night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know. But anyway, uh, moving back in, into what actually happened to the fight, you know, Russell did a good job of building Postal's experience and range, and, and he just landed the more effective shots. What I like most about Russell in this one is that although he only had gone six rounds previously, that was the most he, he had done, that he was able to wear Postal out and get the late round stoppage, even though it was a controversial stoppage, you got to let Postal, you know, fight and let him at least take one or two more punches and then wait to fight off. At that point, he got stunned, but you still got to let the person who has the experience see if he still, you know, can maneuver his way to 29, 28 more seconds left to be able to get out of that round. I think he could have. Um, that's was, was, um, 
that was an impressive victory for somebody, like I said, who only went six rounds previously. And like I say, uh, good win. And now we have a new player in the 140-pound weight division. Yeah, I don't have much to add to this one, but I was wondering how Postal was going to hold up for a few reasons. One, because of, you know, the layoff and him being a little bit old in boxing years, but also where his head was at because of what's happening in his home country and the fact that his family is still there. So I knew that even though he may wait, he was coming into this fight heavy mentally you know what I mean and so not to take away anything from what Gary Antoine Russell did because he boxed beautifully um but I know that Postal was going through a lot and I hope he gets home to his family safely and that his family is safe but did you guys have anything else with that one yeah yeah my bad well only thing I'm gonna say is this man is the fact that you know I really like I said I'm a Colbert fan but I really can appreciate Gary Antoine Russell, like the humble nature. And I'm not saying you can be arrogant and cocky because you have to have a belief in yourself. It's just, it's certain things that when you say certain things about other guys, it's a way to still be confident, even arrogant, but you don't have to like take dumps on other people for no reason. Now I can see if somebody come at you and you talking about your opponent and again, it's a certain manner in which you probably want to approach that because you don't want to be left with egg on your face, especially if you're not really studying film and that guy and that guy kicks your butt. But um, it's, it's more so, like I say, those comments that he was making, I'm talking about Colbert, like towards guys like Wilder, just in general, his brash nature, like I say, excessively using the N-word. It's a way to go about doing that where you don't have to be like so mean-spirited you know like, like the way he approaches it sometimes and like I said a person like a Gary Antoine Russell you really can appreciate him because you can see the confidence in himself it, it's like they say like I, I gave this example before I remember I had this and I, I know that you fellas don't want to go too far too long in this discussions that I don't want to ramble on too much but it's like a discussion that I had with my brother I remember I had this 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 rock waller that I had and he was little and he was he was a really nice rock wall and I was like I, was, I came back home I told my brother I said man he's a good dog I said I just want to make him a little bit meaner what can I do to make him meaner make him meaner so he looked at me like I was crazy he said why would you want to make him meaner he said that's a rock wall you don't have to do anything to make him mean because he's that's in his nature that's who he is so you you know people are just going to see that that's a rock wall and they're going to approach him as such that's what I mean by a Gary Antoine Russell. The fact that he's humble, he's a good dude, but you still he's still somebody you don't want to mess around with when it comes to that fighting, you know what I mean, in that ring. He's nothing to play with. And so some guys who come across as all of this, I'm this and I'm that, you don't have to do that. People see through that stuff, you know what I mean? You still can be a good, nice, good-natured person and still be somebody inside the ring that people know not to mess with and they see the skills that you have and you don't have to overly do it, you know, when it comes to your machismo. Yeah. Shout out to, to Russell and shout out to the Russell family. You know what I mean? They, they seem like a very solid family and uh, very tight knit. And I, I love what they have going on as a, as a family in the boxing world. So earlier on Saturday, uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux came back and he fought 
Vincent Astrolabio in Dubai. Um, Will, I understand you saw this one? Yeah, I took a look at, at this fight. And for this recap, I'll be pretty brief. And so you got Rigo, he falls to 23 with 13 KOs and Vincent Astrolabio moves to 17-3 with 12 KOs. After watching this fight, I truly think that it's time for Rigo to hang him up. You know, although he looks pretty good for someone who's uh, 62, 63 years old, it's just, this is a young man's sport, you know? Um, and then he had decent movement and, and he also threw an occasional nice counter left, which he does. He still has that capability. Um, Astrolabio, Astrolabio, on the other hand, to me, in this fight, he just seemed to, you know, overwork or outwork Rigo. You know, he landed a lot of nice jabs, and he even jabs and counters and, and, and pressure. And, you know, he, like I say, he just outworked Rigo. You know, it wasn't that he was doing anything, like, extraordinary. It's just the fact that he just kept those, those punches coming. And he landed um, a lot more punches than Rigo did. And he ended up dropping them in the eighth with this jab slash uppercut. And that was the first time Rigo had been dropped in about seven years. And so if you saw this fight, the fight was like 96, 95 in favor of Astrolabio. For some reason, it seemed that they were just happy to have Rigo out there in their area fighting. Even the commentating seemed a little bit biased towards Rigo, which was crazy to me because he doesn't get that type of treatment over here. It's like kind of like the opposite. But to me, I thought that Astrolabio won this fight at least like 8-4. And then if you include the knockdown, then that even creates further separation of the two. Because like I said, at the end of the day, he just outworked my main man, Guillermo Regendahl. And when you're 41 years old, you're losing a journeyman. I think Rigo needs to join Khan and Jorge Linares as a group who should call it a career. And so that's what I saw as far as that fight is concerned. You guys have anything when it comes to that one? Shaba Rigo. Mr. Boxer Man. Rigo. Mr. Boxer Man. Rigo. We can pretty much end it on there. I, I, I can't add nothing to that. I'm not going to disrespect the man like that. You know what I'm Mr. Saying? Boxer Man, they call me Mr. Boxer Man. Mr. Boxer Man, I throw a left and right hand. Mr. Boxer Man. <laughs> Shout out to Rigo. You know, he had a pretty uh, fruitful career. You know, he probably didn't get the fights that he wanted. But, you know, he's gotten far as he could at this age, at 41. I believe he's like a month younger than I am. So I can, I can definitely relate to how he feels and, and, and not. This is a young man's sport, so uh, he gets to run out, run off to the sunset, you know, with his faculties intact. Uh, he doesn't have any visible brain damage. He, he talks pretty fast, so, you know, he should be good to go, take care of his, his, his wife and, and children. Yeah, it's a shame um, what, they, what they've done to the, to, the, to the man in a sport of boxing. You got guys like Frampton, you had Quig. You had Santa Cruz, those guys just openly and blatantly, you know, ran from the guy where he was never able to get signature victories that he was looking for, with the exception of the win that he had against um, my main man. Uh, what's his name? No, Nito Donaire, and he had win over uh, Joseph Rebecco. Rebecco, um, nobody knows him like that without the, with the exception of, of fighting fans, but the Nonito Donaire fight. 
you know, that was a, a very impressive victory against a top three pound for pound fighter at the time. And so, you know, hats off to him. That was definitely his, his signature victory. But it was a situation where you had like his promoter was saying that after that, why would fans watch the fight? This this was boring. So his promoter was saying stuff like that about him. And then you had the other guys who were blatantly, you know, running away from fights with him. And so, but all in all, you know, he had an illustrious career. He also had a very good amateur uh, career. And see guys like Rigo, unfortunately for him, people, they don't look at him to me in the manner in which they should, because around that time he beat Donaire, he was, to me, was like top three pound for pound fighters in the world. You know what I'm saying? And I don't think that he gets the look like a Chocolatito did at the time, like even Donaire, who he beat. I'm like guys on that level, and he was there. And he could have even elevated himself further had those guys not sat up there and dumped him. You know, like I say, it wasn't even it, it wasn't even to the point where they're trying to hide it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, I'm not fighting him. And then they'll fight each other and they'll still get handsomely rewarded. Where that guy right there was one of the best of the best. So shout out to Rigo. No, no disrespect on my end. You know, not to go too deep into it, but if you were to equate him to like a rapper he's almost like the lupe fiasco of like boxing to me in a sense that like his style is not easily palatable to like the you know the casual fan more the casual fans and he's a purist and you know he won't tell you what you want to hear he don't say those things that you feel like a, a fighter is supposed to say you know and you know he's kind of he was kind of blackballed in that sense but you know he's one of the best to to do it in, in this time, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. And I love that comparison. And it's like this as well, that the perception really doesn't meet what he brought. Now, if you go and buy like the Casimiro fight that he had, he was just 41 or 40 years old. And it may be a, a couple other fights, but if you look at his resume and at the time, Again, to me, that was justification for it's not the fighter. Like, I don't want to fight him, that style or whatever. But I remember he was fighting against a guy. It was a Japanese guy. He was a really tall. He moved up and he fought, I want to say, Hashashi. Hisashi Amagasa. Something like that. Something like that. And so people were saying, oh, he's boring. And, and whatnot. Now, Rigo's in a knockdown dragout fight against this big, huge guy. The dude dropped Rigo. Rigo got up. And if you, the dude had like all type of facial lacerations and he had to have orbital bone, bone surgery. But they telling me that Rigo's boring. I'm like, look at this dude is, is disfigured. You know what I'm saying? That's boring. So, yeah, again, and shout out to Guillermo Rigondeau. You know, peace be on to you, my brother. Anything we got? Um, left um as far as this episode is concerned fellas and that was the end peace to rigo that's all yes sir and we're gonna end um this episode but be on the lookout we got another one coming back so this episode is just basically going to be our recaps that we had of the fights that took place this weekend and be on the lookout for the actual fight predictions peace peace